God, sometimes when we pray, it doesn't feel like you're there. It doesn't feel like you're listening. Sometimes life can be so brutal and require so much courage that we can't see you, we can't feel you, we can't follow you. And so today, Lord, I ask that you would reawaken our faith, that you would help us to hear your voice, help us to follow you, and help us see your actions in history so that we could be filled with only courage that you could give us. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. And good morning. Welcome to our inaugural 9 a.m. service. It's so much fun to have you here. Amen. Awesome. Yes, Steve. So we're starting a new series, a new sermon series today uh, in Exodus, the first third of the book of Exodus, and the series is called Encountering God in a Disenchanted Age. And just briefly, what this is all, this is a series for people who, who struggle with faith. Maybe you've had a background uh, in Christianity or in faith, but it's hard to pray, and you've experienced some disillusionment and disenchantment with the faith that you've received. Now, maybe it feels like uh, faith and religion doesn't connect with the problems of the real world, and you need a new vision of Christ, a new vision of faith. You need to encounter the real God. And so what we're doing is we're looking at a similar disenchanted age, which was a time of slavery when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and God revealed himself. Exodus is all about the real God revealing his real character so that we could encounter him again, so we could see him uh, acting in the world. And so we're going to track the story of the Israelites. We're also going to track the character of God along the way. Uh, Today is all about courage. Today is all about courage. So... Uh, God gives us courage, and we're going to discover what that means. In 1933, there was a 27-year-old professor who was also a minister, and he found himself in need of courage. He served in a country that just elected a new leader who came to power using fear, fear of the minority population. He stirred up and roused up fear of the minority population, and then He blamed the country's problems on this minority population, and so he got elected to lead the country. And his xenophobia was starting to swirl and was starting to take root even in churches. Churches were starting to go, yeah, like we can can kind of go along with this new racist ideology, and we can maybe uh, withhold positions of influence and, and official leadership to this racist population or to this, to this minority population. And this 27-year-old pastor was like, this cannot stand. This may not stand. And so he stood up and he found courage in the Lord. Um, he realized that the trappings of religion was not enough to bolster uh, courage because there was all kinds of people dressed in all kinds of religious garb Hiding behind it, hiding behind their garb, hiding behind their pulpits, hiding, hiding behind their theology, and they weren't filled with courage like they needed to be. And so he realized, what I need to encounter is the living God. I need God. I need Christ in the world active, giving me courage. In the, in the moment when it mattered, that young pastor, whose name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, wrote the first ever defense of the uh, Jewish German people. No one in the whole country had written anything to their defense when Hitler came to power. This 27-year-old 
theologian, artist, pastor, professor, stood up and wrote and published nationally and went on the radio in defense of the Jewish people. He had courage when it mattered. Um, Will you have courage when it matters? When your moment comes to stand up, will you have courage? Uh, Merriam-Webster defines courage as the moral strength to endure, the moral strength to venture and withstand difficulty. The moral strength to venture and withstand difficulty. So you're not passively waiting for it. You're stepping into difficulty because it's the right thing to do. And then when difficulty blows back at you, you withstand the difficulty. The moral strength to venture and withstand difficulty. You might think of courage as guts, okay? It's something that you can't see, but it's definitely inside or it's not. And the moment you, you see whether or not you've got the guts is in the moment when it's tested. Not when you're watching the movie and you're associating with the courageous character, and you're like, oh, yeah, I would definitely be her. <laughs> That's not what courage is. Courage is the moral courage to venture and withstand difficulty. Do you have courage, and will you have courage when it matters? Will you have the guts? Now, Exodus is... Uh, a story of a whole nation that needed courage, an entire enslaved nation that needed incredible courage. And it wasn't found in religion itself. Um, it wasn't found even in a strong man. It wasn't found um, in, in the trappings of their life. It was found in the living God. They had to find it in a God who was courageous enough to reveal himself in the midst of all the bloodiness that they incurred. Now, our courage is going to be tested. Life is going to demand moral strength from you. It will. The only question is, when will it test you? When will it demand the moral strength? So it's, in, it's important for us to watch and track this story and track how the Israelites found their courage in the living God. So why don't you turn with me to Exodus 1? It's in your bulletins there uh, or your Bibles towards the, towards the beginning. It's the second book of the Bible. Let's see how the living God supplied Supernatural courage to his people. The first thing that we're going to see is that God grants us courage to flourish under pressure. How do you respond under pressure? Do you have courage when you've got pressure? This is one of the first ways that God supplies courage for us when we're under pressure in the, in the evil day. Now, look with me at Exodus 1, verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. The whole drama of the book of Exodus begins here. It begins with a new king, a new pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. Joseph here is kind of shorthand for the golden era, okay? There was about 70 Israelites that went down to Egypt following Joseph, who became, eventually he was an Israelite who became prime minister over Egypt, had incredible power and used it for good, used it for the powerless, And then what happened is that all of Joseph's descendants and the descendants of his brothers that are named in the first few verses of Exodus totally flourished. I mean, they went from 70 people to a huge teeming nation, Uh, just as God had said they would in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And they did that in Egypt. It was a golden era. Because uh, Because of Joseph's 
um, he was just a really good prime minister, Israelites had it good in Egypt. But then a new king arose who didn't know Joseph. And all those golden era arrangements, all those sweet perks that the Israelites got, forget about it. We're going from, we're going from the golden era to, to an era of fear and, and control and xenophobia and racism. That's what's going to happen because there's a new ruler. There's a new king that came to power. And so what does he do? Verses 9 and 10, he issues a racist edict, stirring up fear about the minority population. He says, um, he said to his people, verse 9, okay, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. They're getting too strong, getting too big for their britches. Okay, so what does he say? Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Let us deal shrewdly with them the same way that the serpent deals with Eve, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Pharaoh's like, look, these people that you think of as your neighbors, that you think of as your equals, they're just another mercenary force. And they're just waiting and they're just scheming and they're gonna rise up and, 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 and they're gonna steal your land and, and they're going to fight against you and then they're gonna take all your stuff and escape. We can't let them do that. Okay, so he's declaring, here's a leader declaring some racist ideology and sowing seeds of fear throughout the whole population. And so then what does he do? Um, he has them, he's, uh, verse 11, therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They're responding here to Pharaoh's edict and, and they're like, you know what? They, uh, they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. Store cities are like those inhospitable, inhumane storage facilities, military facilities, where it's, you can't raise a family around a huge warehouse. You can't flourish um, and have life when you're working from sunup to sundown, building a military storage site. What Pharaoh is doing here is he's breaking up the Israelite family so that they can't have children. And he's putting them in inhumane conditions. He's taking away whatever trades they have, and he's going, no, no, no. You're going to go into the far remote distances, and you're going to be my minions building my storage facilities for the next war. Now, how discouraging this would be if we were in Israel, if we had a trade, if we had a family, and then we're separated from our family. We're separated from our husband, separated from our wife, separated from our, our children, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, our livelihood, our way of life, all because of racism, how discouraging this would be. And yet they were multiplying. Verse 12 says, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. God is able to, to cause them to flourish even in difficult circumstances, even under pressure. But the pressure intensifies. We see at the last uh, part of verse 12, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. Now, how do people act when they're afraid? You ever notice how people get when they're afraid? When people are afraid, they get nasty. When people are afraid, they get cruel. When people are afraid, they can make your life a living hell, and that's exactly what they did to the Israelites. Listen to the language here. So they ruthlessly, this is verse 13, ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter. With hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. 
I want you to imagine what this would be like if you were an Israelite. Maybe you're a merchant, and the people who used to buy stuff from you vandalize your cart one night, and then a few weeks later, they ship you off to work at this storage facility, and then a few weeks later, they put your children and your wife in chains too, and they ship you off to make bricks and work in the fields. And brick-making facilities are some of the most inhumane conditions in the world. And they're still in operation all over the world because they're very profitable, especially if you, if you have unpaid workers. So here you are. You're working in a... Maybe this is... Just imagine this, this Kiva area here is just like a big old furnace that you work in from sun, uh, sunup to sundown in excruciatingly hot conditions, making bricks. Meanwhile, your wife who's pregnant, is breaking her back, working in the fields. Your children are, 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 are getting injured because they're working from sunup to sundown, making bricks, um, laying them out to dry. You're firing them in the oven. Your skin is cracked. Your voice is hoarse. You're being ground down into the ground. Your life is now a living hell. What do you do? Where is the courage? Where is the courage? Now, here's the thing. Pharaoh changed. Circumstances changed. Your family arrangement changed. Your level of suffering changed. But God has not changed. God has not changed. His vision for you has not changed. His plan for you has not changed. His level of courage for you has not changed. And you're still flourishing. I even imagine, you know, maybe some of the Israelites, they got together in some secret meetings at night to remember the words of God to them, to sing the old songs, and to witness, look, guys, we're multiplying. We're growing. You know, your wife doesn't have a miscarriage. She actually delivers a healthy baby, and so do many other women. And in fact, Pharaoh's trying to ground us down, but God is giving us courage to flourish under this incredible pressure. You know, you and I have pressure as well, and we need God's courage. Some of you are feeling the pressure of living in the city. The taxes going up every year. Um, or it seems like it, at least. The violence of your neighborhood. Man, should we leave this neighborhood? There's all kinds of muggings. There's all kinds of violence. It doesn't feel maybe hospitable to your faith. And you're thinking about, man, if it would just be so much easier if we could just leave the city, if we could just leave this neighborhood. You're experiencing pressure maybe at work. The work pressure, you have an unreasonable boss who, who uh, puts all kinds of unreasonable demands on you. And it's incredibly hard to deal with him, or an unreasonable coworker, yet you're called to stay. Or maybe just raising a family, it takes guts to raise kids in this world. And you're feeling the temptation from all of these pressures to flee, to run, to not stay where God has called you. This is the moment where we need God, the living God, not religion, to give us courage, to be with us, to, to give us courage not just to stand, but to multiply and deepen. I think about, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer didn't just issue the edict under pressure. He also trained up 2,000 pastors that were uncorrupted by the racist ideology so that German churches all over, all over the country would have pastors that would stand in the gospel and flourish even under pressure. God grants us courage to flourish when the days are evil, not only Israel, but us as well. Secondly, he gives us courage to stand up for the powerless. God grants us courage not just to flourish under pressure, but to stand up for the powerless. 
So uh, I was in my 20s here in Chicago and out with some friends, and we were heading home after a night of carefree leisure. And, <laughs> and all of a sudden, we, we heard a commotion. We heard a commotion on the other side of the street. And it appeared that there was a really large man um, yelling and getting in the face of and beginning to physically uh, attack his female companion. What do we do? Before I could even think the situation through, one of my friends was going across the street. And then, before I could even process that, another one of my friends followed him across the street to stand up to this man. Guess who didn't cross the street? I regret it to this day. When you see a powerless person being, being abused, do you have the courage to take the blows in their stead? Do you have the guts? Do you have the moral courage to cross the street and venture and withstand difficulty? I didn't in the moment when it mattered. But I'll tell you about two women who did. Their names were Pua and Shifra. Some tough midwives, my friends. <laughs> Summoned before this global leader, towering in his, uh, in his throne with a, a snake headdress on and glaring at them. Who are you, these lowly Hebrew midwives? Pharaoh says to them, um, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill, kill him, but let the daughters live. Now, who are these midwives? They're going to stand up to this global leader. He's like, look, I could offer you anything, and I could kill you with a snap of the fingers. So why don't you go ahead and be my little helpers, be my minions in my evil scheme, and take care of the Israelite problem. Turn against your people, and I'll make it worth your while. Now, Shifra and Pua have a choice. They had a choice, and we have a choice when we're faced with a similar situation. As Gary Haugen, leader of International Justice Mission, asks, who are you more impressed with, bad men or a good God? Who are you more impressed with, bad men or a good God? Who are you going to serve under? Who are you going to fear? Shifra and Pua had that choice to make. Who are you going to entrust your family's livelihood to, man or God? Who are you going to trust your livelihood to? Who are you going to trust your body with? Who are you going to trust your reputation to, your ultimate reputation to, man or God? And we have a problem with this. We do trust our fellow people for, the good, for a good reputation. We do not trust God with our reputations very well in our disenchanted age. Because right now, we've got a lot of little gods on the internet that could build us up, puff us up, or destroy us with a tweet or a thousand tweets. We have a real problem. We fear human beings more than we fear God in our disenchanted age. And we need to be like Shifra and Pua and stand up for the powerless, whether it earns us social media cred or not. Shifra and Pua crossed the street and they stood up to the evil man and they said, no, you don't. Verse 17, 
The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Now, it took a few years because, you know, uh, uh, babies at that time were dressed alike, boys and girls, until they were a little older. So when, uh, when Pharaoh realized the ruse, he said, the king of Egypt, verse 18, called the midwives, summoned them, and said to them, why have you done this? And let their male children live. And they're like, well, you know, the Hebrew women, they're very active, they're very vigorous, they're able to have kids faster than we can get to them. And um, now some commentators wrestle with this, with the, was this a lie or, or not? And you know what? The text doesn't tell us. Maybe they had some kind of arrangement, like the midwives are like, hey, look, I'm going to need you to be very vigorous. <laughs> okay? Get as far as you can with this. And if it's a boy, don't call me. But the short answer, if we were to sum up the answer of the midwives to Pharaoh, their answer was, no, no, we will not obey your order. We might just be a couple of lowly midwives, but you will not conscript us into your evil schemes. We answer to God. We fear God. And we will stand up for these minority babies that are under attack from a premature death. Now, all of us have an opportunity to join Shifra and Pua and stand up for the powerless. All of us do. Some of us are doing that in the legal world. Some of you are working hard and you're not getting paid as much as you could get paid because you are fighting injustice. You are standing up for the powerless. Um, others of you are doing this vocationally. You're using your vocational power um, to stop sex trafficking or you're using your free time to stop um, slavery. Um, or uh, the threat against the unborn. Others of you are doing this relationally. There's unhealth in your circles, and you're talking with a family member that's going to blame you for the problem rather than respond to um, your concerns. You're confronting things that need to be confronted. You're standing up for someone who's under attack. Um, Richard Stearns was a CEO for, for many years and, and making a great salary in the corporate world. And then uh, World Vision asked him to, to take over. And he was like, no, 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 you don't just need a CEO. You need like a combination of like Mother Teresa, CEO, and Indiana Jones, and I'm not that person. <laughs> and so um, uh, he was afraid. You know, he was afraid to use his vocational skills for the, un, for, uh, for the unprotected and to stand up for them. And then he realized one day, he said to his wife in the kitchen, he's like, you know, if there's one child somewhere in the world who suffers or dies because I didn't have the courage to say yes to this job. I don't think I could live with myself. And so he went on a journey with the living God, and he discovered how much courage God could give him to stand up to the powerless. You know, Shifra and Pua, they stood up for the powerless, and God stood up for them. Verses 20 and 21 says, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave to them families. Now listen, Pharaoh was obsessed with his name being remembered. He put himself in a gold coffin so his name would be remembered. He put up pyramids everywhere and store cities so his name would be remembered. And he's not remembered. It's what's his name, king of, king of Egypt? We don't know his actual name or her actual name. But you know whose names we remember forever and ever? Shifra and Pua. And you know what else? God gave to them families. And you know what else? God was with the Israelites too. When we stand up for the powerless, sooner or later, God in his mercy 
stands up with us and for us. Uh, why? Why would God care? Because this is who God is. God is the source of all courage. God himself is courage. He had the guts to cross the street and as we read in our gospel lesson, be born into the world full of Herods that wanted to kill him. He had the guts to stand up to evil people. He had the guts to stand up to self-righteous religious people. He had the guts to stand up to Satan and demons and evil and death itself because all of those forces were threatening you and I. And he loved us. And so he crossed the street and he took the blows and it cost him his life on the cross. And yet God raised him to life, crowned him king, and made him, made him Lord and ruler over a new world that you and I are called to be a part of and participate in. And when we entrust our life and our livelihood and reputations to Jesus Christ, he will stand up for us and he will give us all the power we need to cross the street. He will give us all the power and the moral strength we need to venture and withstand difficulty. Come to him. Come to Jesus Christ and ask for the courage you need today. Ask for him to be with you when it's your turn to cross the street and when it's your turn to stand up for the powerless and when it's your turn to flourish under pressure. Now, verse, uh, so chapter, 20, ch- chapter one ends with verse 22 when Pharaoh's like, you know what? Hey, Egyptians, throw all the Israelite babies in the Nile River. Let's turn this source of life into a river of blood. How is God going to reveal his character when he does that. Let's track the story of the living God and let us together encounter a God of courage in a disenchanted age. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.